Hi everyone, welcome to This Week in Lies, the show where we try to reverse party political spin, expose bad journalism and hopefully have a laugh. Joining me as usual are my co-hosts Adam. Hello. And Dave. Hello. So, yeah, it's... I'm not sure why you paused there, Ben. I was just... Yeah, I I was thinking, I don't know, maybe... Some tra- I mean, it has been a transfer window, so I was seeing whether you two had managed to, uh, you know, stay at the club. I've got loyalty. <sighs> Unlike some. David. <laughs> well, so, I was to a £40 pound, million pound bid, but rejected it. Big anyway, Arab Spring news now. Boing. Now, if you've not been paying attention in the news, pay attention now. Libyan rebels this week had pushed themselves... Quite close to the brink of victory as they took the capital city, Tripoli, and uh, overran Colonel Gaddafi's compound slash castle, tearing down statues, flags, and firing their guns in the air <laughs> like they just don't care. Ah, uh, did you mean that? Did you mean that's a rhyme? I don't know. Possibly. Only the city of Sirte, Gaddafi's birthplace, remains as a stronghold for the regime, and the rebels have given the regime supporters a week to give themselves up until they go in there by force after negotiations with tribal elders. Now, they have extended that deadline. It's getting a little bit like a university student who's just making up illnesses to try and get a longer and longer deadline for an essay, but eventually that deadline is going to come in, Gaddafi supporters. That deadline is going to come in. But meanwhile, senior politicians from around the world are gathering in Paris uh, at the moment. I think it's just finished, actually, for a summit on Libya's future with uh, French President Nicolas Sarkozy and UK leader David Cameron, I think that's how you pronounce Sarkozy, are hosting the meeting uh, to be attended by officials from the US, Russia, China and many other countries which aren't worth noting, really. Uh, Delegates from Libya's rebel government will also be there and are expected to ask for help on security and democracy. Uh, The National Transitional Council is expected to press for further unfreezing of assets, but its delegates will also stress that it does not want any lessening of NATO support as it tries to quell the remaining loyalist pockets. With uh, the governance of the NTC is, however, a complete international consensus, with major countries such as Algeria, Brazil, China, India, Psycho-Iran, Kenya, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia... South Africa, Venezuela, and Zimbabwe, not recognising them as the leaders of Libya. That list is far too long. Yeah, I was just going to say, how bad are things in Zimbabwe that they've obviously been watching all of this happen, and they're still they're just so brutally repressed and hungry they can't do anything. And I was uh, I was born uh, born bored on transfer deadline day, and I worked out that uh, Sergio Aguero in Zimbabwean dollars cost twenty-two billion, <laughs> or, the, or a loaf of bread. Yeah, but. it's a bit rich coming from Zimbabwe. Well, it, they're just a bit like desensitized to the actual violence. It's like a twelve-year-old who's played Grand Theft Auto for that long that when he starts playing Manhunt, it just seems like he's playing Rayman or something. Like it's just, it's like oh, someone's just been shot in the head. That's a completely normal thing to see, but. Gaddafi's family have fled to Algeria, but the colonel vows that he will continue to fight his enemies in a long and bloody fight, declaring, let Libya be engulfed in flames. Yeah, it's not dramatic at all. No, not not anything like what Gaddafi has been doing in the past. Quite strange. Out of character, one could say. Yeah. 
I think um, Gaddafi saw Muse's set at Leeds Festival and saw all those flamethrowers going up in the air. And uh, he heard somebody in the crowd saying, oh, they're engulfed in flames. And he said, I must write that down. Why that would, sounds good. Why would he be at Leeds Festival? He's hiding somewhere, isn't he? Well, that's true. In a place well, you least expect him. Everyone, check underneath your armpits. He might be there. Just worth making sure you're not carrying an international criminal underneath you. But that pretty much that's all that's gone on in Libya. He's eventually going to get caught. He can't play this Where's Wally slash Waldo game any longer. Let's see if he can beat Saddam Hussein for just record time spent underground in a box. <laughs> With fun-sized Mars bars. But Saddam's spent a lot of time underground in a box now anyway. So, uh, Syria? Bit, bit, bit too soon, Ben. Bit, bit too, too soon. soon. <laughs> you know what? I don't, I, don't, I don't have to justify myself to Saddam Hussein. Arab Spring News Part 2. The Attorney General of the embattled Syrian city of Hama has resigned in protests at crimes against the local population committed by security forces. In a video posted online by activists, a man who identifies himself as Adnan Mohammed al-Bakor de- declares himself with the rebels. Bakor said he was standing down because of the continued suppression of peaceful po- protests against the regime of the President Bashar al-Assad. According to Bakor, 72 prisoners were killed in Hamas central prison on the 31st of July at the start of a three-day assault on the city on the eve of Ramadan. That's quite bad, actually. Yeah. He said a further 420 bodies were buried in mass graves in public parks by security forces and loyalists. After that, he was asked to report the victims as having been killed by armed gangs. He said that about 320 people had died under torture. Well, Al-Assad is still not a nice bloke. I would most certainly not have a pint with him. But if with the Arab Spring starting to possibly come to an end, what what can we say about it? Well, Colonel Gaddafi's loss of power is a dead cert, population 48,275. He's GAT, population 9,228 in the southwest of the country. No chance of holding on to power. And he batter population 4,780, just go. Although it's widely reported that that Gaddafi dislikes Libya, with his main complaint being it's al-urban, population 12,600, and not enough countryside. It's one of the main reasons that when he went for his annual STI check, uh, that he went to Yorkshire for it and visited Tobruk, population 76,685. He got the all clear, though, and uh, when he got back to Libya... He said to his uh, Ukrainian blonde nurse, Al Badger, population 250,000, right now. But his nurse wasn't really up for it. And she replied, nah, look, population 17,146. Hey, that's incredibly forward, Colonel. Your wife is in the other room. Well, after being rejected, the Colonel was obviously quite upset. And uh, he said he wanted to play his favourite game to cheer him up. So he decided to play uh, hide-and-seek with police issue tasers called Taserbow, population 6,600. Although his friend Dave had to go in for tea early, but said, Zalask, population 8,882. Uh, my mother, if I can come out later. But this only upset Gaddafi more. And he walked home saying, Darna, population 88,037. Why does nobody want to play? I'll have to go commit some human right offences and get toppled by my own people. That's how you could really sum up the uh, Arab Spring in Libya. But, um, David, what Jadu, population 9,563, Think about Syria and Al-Assad. 
well, I don't know, Adam, is there too much to talk about? Yeah, I don't know. Dara Kish him? Do I criticise him? Although I did think it wouldn't end well after he had a mice mashyaf argument with his mother. She asked, why don't you go and try and come to a constitutional compromise with the protesters? Ha, ma, don't be stupid. This is our country and don't you forget it, he roared impressively before turning round and tripping over his own shoes. Ouch, ma'am, can you do my laces? Sure, and informed your cabinet that tea's at six, so be finished attacking protesters by then. Okay, I'll tell them later. Our sad went out and uh, met his second-in-command, who greeted him. You're all right, Al-Assad. Fresh from a trip for South London, he replied, Yeah, bruds. I need to stop saying that. Any news today? Uh, We slaughtered 70 people, so it's going well. Have you set a time for tea tonight? Forgetting, Al-Assad said, Damn, ask us later. Too busy thinking about that damn Christian West. Who do they think they are criticising me? And what did Jesus do anyway? Cure Aleppo. And uh, I think we can summarise from this that both of them are quite nasty people. And I mean, Aleppo is quite an offensive word for Aleppo. It is. I, I can't even believe he'd use that term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dory's Choice. So this is the um, abortion story that's been going on in uh, England at the moment, and it's uh, it's come to light that David Cameron said he cannot support an attempt by a fellow Conservative MP to change the rules on the advice that can be offered to women seeking abortions. The PM's office said it was sympathetic to Nadine Dorries MP's view that women should be offered independent advice in regards to abortions, but he was concerned that the amendments to the health bill would prevent abortion providers like Mary Stopes Charity from giving counselling as well. Um, Miss Dorries claims that such clinics have a financial motive to encourage abortion and at present women seeking an abortion need the consent of two doctors which can be obtained through an NHS clinic or GP surgery or a a provider like Mary Stopes or the British Pregnancy Advisory Service or BPAS which is also affiliated with the NHS. Uh, In both cases staff have a duty to provide counselling to the women who use them and under the Royal College of obstetricians and gynecologists guidelines that advice should be impartial objective and unbiased um the mystery's amendment um said what which is also supported by labor backbencher frank field um would remove that uh, ability to give uh, impartial advice from both mary stopes and the british pregnancy advisory service uh, and it says the NHS, specifically the GPs, should provide, and this is in quotes, uh, independent in- information, advice and counselling services for women requesting termination of pregnancy. And it defines independent as an organisation that it's, does not itself provide abortions. <coughs> um, there are no other stipulations about who those independent bodies could be. And pro-choice campaigners say they could be uh, opened up to include faith-based groups who are morally opposed to abortion, who will also seek to persuade women that going ahead with an abortion would be sinful or wrong. Um, The health and social care bill is due to be discussed by MPs in the Commons next Tuesday and Wednesday, but it's up to the Speaker John Perko to decide whether or not to call Mrs Dorry's amendment to the bill. Uh, Downing Street said the Prime Minister may not be there for the debate, but if he was, he would vote against it. Uh, number 10 also stressed it was a free vote and no pressure was being applied to any MP to vote in a particular way. In an article for the Daily Mail, Miss Dorries, a former nurse, 
um, who campaigned to reduce legal time limit for abortions, wrote that she wanted women to be offered genuinely independent counselling so they can at least consider their options and not necessarily feel at a time when they may be desperately vulnerable that a termination is the only option. Under present legislation, doctors or pregnancy advisory service have no duty, no duty to offer professional impartial help to women considering an abortion. The thing with the reads before we do get on to the abortion point is that this is a woman who said that ab uh, abstinence should be taught instead of sex education and that 16-year-olds and below shouldn't be given sexual health advice because they should be encouraged not to do it. Well, what? yeah, her, her argument was that girls should say no rather than that kind of shift all the earnest onto girls saying no rather than boys not asking. It was like uh, the article, and it was like uh, Dave showed us the article, and it was like it's all girls' fault, essentially, is what she was, what it came across as in the argument, wasn't it? That she didn't really want yeah. that kind of education. She just wanted girls to be abstinent, which was just... Ugh. But that would, that would rob plenty of South London women of an income, and I just don't understand how they would possibly live without having children. I'm not going to go to South London for quite a while. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> planning not to go on a day trip there. Yeah. I know, Ben, you were relatively sympathetic to the new legislation, though, or potentially, anyway. Um, as far as I was concerned, I read into the article that she didn't necessarily... She wasn't, um, she wasn't condoning that faith group-based groups be allowed in, but she was just condoning that it was truly impartial, which I can understand. Um uh, what me and Adam were talking about was we we both think uh, we both said that we think it should be a closed system rather than an open one, and we think that this bill would open it so that both pro-choice and pro-life could give advice to people. Whereas we think it should have there should be neither side because you can't really have one way or the other. I think that's what Dorries was trying to say is that you can't really have one one giving advice and not the other. So, for example, if you allow a pro-choice um, group to give advice then you also have to allow a pro-life to give advice or else it's an unfair uh, debate whichever side you stand on it yeah although she did say well she doesn't want to come across as prejudiced or anything but um well it's not hard to guess which side she would come down on on the argument she has say, um, said um pro-choice uh i don't i don't think it was no her i think her and frank fields are both pretty ardent christians as well so yeah, it's, it's obvious to see which side they come down on. Yeah, well, she has said in the past, I try to live my faith. Some days I fa fail quite miserably, but I co constantly try to do what Jesus would do. She also said, I'm not, not an MP for any other reason other than God wants me to be, which has echoes of George Bush, I suppose. And uh, she also said, to me, saving some lives is better than saving none at all. Hopefully pro-lifers will come to share my view that some progress is better than no progress. Can we not get rid of her on mental health grounds? Like, can we not section her? No, because we live in a democracy. <laughs> Although the God thing does... Well... It's just as valid a belief as an atheist. So. Well, yeah. well, that would suggest, you know, people have said that who were schizophrenics. Although I'm not calling her a schizophrenic. It's just, you know, alarm bells slightly set off. But without, without changing this slight topic of it, it's... If a Muslim person said, oh yes, I, I, I'm in this position, good Allah put me there, the Daily Mail will go, this is terrible, one of these people is there because Allah put them there, then if some 
blonde nutcase says, oh yeah, God put me here, no one really picks up on it as much. We shouldn't really be looking at this issue as a religious, we should be looking at of you know, what's best for the woman in question. It's not really a, your religious view shouldn't be coming in as an MP on this issue, in my opinion, because your religious views do not account for all the views of your constituents, so how can you vote? I know it's one of them, the MPs are there to vote on the behalf of the constituents, but I think on this issue, it shouldn't, like, your religious view should be completely held to disregard on it. It's just... Yeah. Uh, just but not because she thinks God put her there when really 32% of the electorate put her there. <laughs> the flip side is, though, is, is that even if you don't believe in God and you're a pro-choice, for example, that your views will impact on how you vote or, in the case of giving advice, how you advise. And that... The, the thing is, she wants in, in, advice to be impartial, but the point is that no one's really impartial. Is it? We, we talked about this, is that even if you boiled it down to the absolute fewest people who were the most impartial, they would still vote one way or another and it would still change the result. No, I don't think anyone can truly be absolutely 100% impartial yeah. uh, in a case like this. Yeah, especially now David Cameron has said he'd vote against it. Anyone who wants, you know, a big future in the party is not going to say, oh, well, I'm going to vote for it. But it's a free vote, David, so obviously it won't take into account, you know, party whip. Oh, wait a minute, Labour had a free vote a couple of years ago and did whip it. Yeah. Well, well, it's uh, kind of... we, we all know what, what we were talking about, Louise Minch and such. Oh, if she does ever come across this podcast, you are a fool, Knowledge is not porridge. Grow up, and you should be in prison. <laughs> <laughs> A little extreme. Has <laughs> that got any uh, foundations? Well, she did make slanderous remarks about Piers Morgan. If I'm sticking up for Piers Morgan, then you're going in prison because <laughs> it makes me die inside to stick up for that amoeba. That's why she should be in prison. Okay. Well, I'm for impartial advice because I think it's it's not fair that, for example, a church group gets to decide or gets to give advice on people. But I also think it's not fair that, for example, uh, an ardent atheist should be able to affect people's views either because they're both they both have just as much uh, founding in society as each other. So I uh, I am sympathetic to the idea, but whether it really work out in person, as I said, I don't know whether you can get truly impartial people to decide. I think. If you're actually religious, though, and you're sticking up for the pro-life side, you wouldn't really consider to have an abortion, would you? So do you really need those type of groups coming in? Because if you're considering an abortion, that does kind of mean you're not pro-life. Yeah, you just thought you'd know where religious groups stand anyway, and anyone, you know, who has a faith would... You'd assume, no. Yeah. Which side their church would want them to come down on. A leading human rights lawyer is planning a legal challenge to Scotland's university funding system. Phil Shiner, a great name, said the policy breaches the European Convention on Human Rights by charging students from other parts of the UK to study north of the border. Currently, uh, Scottish students studying at home do not pay any tuition fees, while some 22,000 English students have to pay so in Scotland. 
with uh, the Scottish government defending its policy, saying it is acting within the law by persecuting English students. <laughs> Obviously, I don't have an opinion on this. Mr. Shiner of Public Interest Lawyers, who does sound a little bit like a personal claims lawyer to <laughs> public interest, but anyway, is already representing two students who have been given a full judicial review to challenge the increase in tuition fees at England's universities. The legal team acting for Callum Hurley of Peterborough and Katie Moore of London are expected to argue that poorer students and those from ethnic minorities could be discriminated against by the change, with Mr Shiner and his attention to the fee structure in Scotland where English students pay between £1,820 to £2,895 per year, which will increase to £9,000 from next year, as Alex Salmon said he doesn't want English students to think that Scottish universities are a cheap choice. Now, essentially, what this entire article and the law for Scottish students and EU students, EU go get free in uh, Scotland, what that says to me is that Alex Salmon thinks that English people don't deserve human rights. And that's my opinion, really. I think that Alex Salmon is incredibly racist. So he gives it to Scottish people and EU people, but not you, not English. Yes. Yeah. It's like that can't be legal. It's like it's getting challenged, Ben. Yeah. It's like he's a Scottish nationalist. (laughs) What would he have against the English? Who knows? The thing, I am genuinely hoping that this does turn into a major constitutional issue. And the Scots go, well, we want free university. We're going to go and run ourselves. And then we go, okay, go run yourselves then. And then they come back in six months going, please, sir. We've got no more money. (laughs) Please help us. We didn't have any oil left either. So essentially, the the, uh, legal challenge will come to an end, hopefully quite soon. And we can either tell you if Scotland is still a part of the UK or if uh, English students are going to continue to be charged in Scotland. But I'm kind of hoping that the Scottish do have to pay just because it'll make me laugh. But yeah. Love, get your brief out. Yeah, there's been another uh, leak of sensitive information by the British government this week after uh, a senior uh, minister accidentally revealed a government briefing document welcoming the departure of Afghan President Hamid Karzai. Uh, International Development Secretary Andrew Mitchell was photographed clutching the note as he left number 10. It said that UK should publicly and privately approve Mr Karzai's decision not to seek a third term in 2014. In response, Foreign Secretary William Hague said the memo was pretty low level, adding these things happen. But it's just another in a long line of, you know, unbelievably incompetent and, well, stupid mistakes. This has happened a few times, people getting snapped with a brief and then the the photos just go and... Uh, get blown up and everyone can see every tiny little detail of what was on the paper it's just like put them in a briefcase well, just, we have these things Julian Assange will be quite annoyed seeing as WikiLeaks is meant to be doing these kind of things and if the government are leaking their own information then <laughs> what's the point in WikiLeaks anymore they are business I would say that a lot of people ask are asking for the new government to be more transparent and uh, <laughs> just taking it upon themselves to do that. <laughs> The thing is with the press, 
what happened to the days where they just chased around celebrities and royal family members around tunnels? <laughs> now they're just taking photos of bits of paper. You can see why the news of the world with the most read Sunday paper, if that's seen as entertainment. But I suppose that just really sums up the decline of the British uh, press and newspaper industry. And I'm probably going in prison for that joke. <laughs> Boarding at gate 3B, flight for torture. So, a US case has been brought to light which has the details of alleged CIA rendition flights that transported terrorist suspects around the world for interrogation uh, after 9-11. Charter company Richmore Aviation and aviation broker Sports Flight have been engaged in a four-year legal dispute over the cost of these flights. The suspects were taken to CIA-run secret prisons around the world and the famous U.S. detention camp at Guantanamo Bay. Many of the prisoners are alleged to have been tortured. Details including the costs and itineraries of flights organised by U.S. private aviation firms have been revealed as part of court proceedings. Human rights group Reprive, which drew attention to the court case in New York, has said the material proves an unprecedented insight into how the government outsourced rendition. A state judge ruled for Richmond last year, according the, awarding the company $1.6 million or £980,000. In May, an appeals court confirmed the decision, cutting the costs awarded to $874,000. But Richmond argues that it's still not been paid in full for the flights. During the trial, Richmond's president, Mar- Marlon Richards, I think it is, describes flights as classified and said passengers were government personnel and their invitees. In a court transcript published by the UK-based Guardian newspaper, but he has also said he was aware of allegations his planes flew terrorists and bad guys in scare quotes. I would say this is possibly the like the ultimate American story. I mean, it's a case about torture, breaking international law, murky ethics, and all of this basically came to light because a. Uh, airplane companies sued because they weren't being paid enough to take people to be well tortured basically and it also had the classic american oversimplification of world affairs saying we knew they were bad guys on board well there's obviously good guys and bad guys you've seen films yeah i've seen team america that's definitely good guys and uh, all it really needed was one of the air tortured dying outside a hospital because they don't have insurance to just make it the ultimate American <laughs> icon. <laughs> but the thing with Amuse Me is them saying that the suspects were taken to CIA-run secret prisons around the world, or Thomas Cook holidays, as a lot of people refer to. <laughs> Take that, Thomas Cook. <laughs> Your yeah. plates are dirty. <laughs> but you also do have the point that they're dressed in orange orange jumpsuits and have rude staff, so it could be EasyJet as well. You don't know. It's either Thomas Cook or EasyJet who are complicit in torture. Wow, you really don't like those airlines. Prostitute news now. And got your attention there, haven't we? Well, the German city of Bonn has installed a meter. <laughs> oh. It- <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> it's installed a meter to tax prostitutes for soliciting on its streets at a rate of six euros per night, or in real money, five pounds thirty. Those who fail to pay face fines or even a ban. Ooh. And two hundred and sixty-four euros were found in the meter when it was first emptied, according to the AFP news agency. And a uh, tax has been levied on prostitutes elsewhere. 
but Bonnie is the first city to use a meter, a spokesman has said. But a prostitute's rights activist <laughs> slash user <laughs> said the scheme amounted to double taxation and would increase prices. He didn't actually say it increased prices. <laughs> Pass on the uh, <laughs> to the consumer. It's like car insurance. Yeah. Prostitutes are expected to pay the flat rate regardless of earnings. The machine, which looks like an ordinary parking meter, has been been installed in an, an industrial area near the city centre, which favoured which is favoured by prostitutes and their clientele. Isabel Klotz, a spokesman for the city, said they expected to get about two hundred thousand euros per year from the meter. Women who work in brothels also pay the tax, but now it had been until now it had been difficult to get women on the street to pay. However, Juan Juanita. Juanita Rosina Henning from the Donna Carmen Prostitute Support Group demanded the meter's removal, saying prostitutes already paid enough income tax, saying this has done nothing to this is nothing to do with fiscal equality. And I would say that with bankers, prostitutes are the most taxed in society. But it's quite harsh what they're planning to do, Bon. If if they don't actually pay for the uh, right to have this little ticket to walk the street. You, as you heard, they can get a ban, they can get a fine, or in uh, multiple offences, they can have their legs clamped together so they can't work. <laughs> I just love how they get them to, like, they give them a little ticket, you know, like when you go to a pain display car park. It's Are like... you going to have, like, attendants walking around as well? Well, I presume so, yeah. And that's where the clamp would come in, obviously. Where would you stick the sticker at all? I don't want to know. <laughs> I just yeah. like the fact some beleaguered guy could think he's filling up his parking meter and just put in like six euros, and then a, a pimp comes up to him. It's <laughs> like, uh, what? So, what do you want? Uh, just two hours. Think. I oh, think we're quite the stallion. Do we? <laughs> <laughs> Wars. Yeah, so uh, this week we're going to have a bit of a discussion about class. Um, it was raised this week in a uh, BBC radio show called The Class Ceiling, where uh, hosted by Polly Toynbee, who's a left wing, pretty obviously in the gut because she uh, writes for The Guardian. But um, she had to say that um, politicians basically want to give the illusion that class warfare is, well, not as big as it would be. Um, John Major said that um, this is the class of society. Tony Blair declared the class war is over. And uh, she, she went on to say, politicians seeking votes from high, middle and low sell a vision of a modern country where nearly everyone is middle nowadays. With nine out of ten MPs, graduates and the fading of trade unionism, the voice of the working class interest is rarely heard. A Britain thinks uh, poll finds only 24% call themselves working class. They say it not with pride, but define it as poor and struggling in low-paid low work. And 71% of them call themselves middle class, non-admitted to being upper class. Uh, Sutton Trust research shows children's achievement in Britain is linked more closely to their parents' status than in most developed countries. Schools uh, may do little to change the future for youngsters if their class tra trajectory is set before they arrive. Only 21% of children in, from the lowest fifth of income get five good GCSEs compared with 75% from the uh, richest fifth. Um, so school doesn't really do 
much to change class trajectory mm. at all. And uh, latest brain research shows how much the first year of life sh shapes future ability determined by love, language, empathy and intellectual stimulation or the knack of it. Uh, all parties urge the importance of early years, yet we spend the least on it. Um, they avoid the inconvenient fact, apparently, that uh, raised by Oxford's John Goldthorpe, what goes up must come down. If the lower classes rise, then some of the from the higher classes must fall. Um, and our GDP has doubled since 1978, but only the top 10% saw incomes grow at or above that rate twice as fast as the median and four times faster than the bottom 10%. And um, epidemiologist Richard Wilkinson says, uh, boosting social mo mobility without addressing income equality is like trying to diet without w worrying about calories. So. The problem we do have, I would say, with the class war or the lack of it, <clears throat> is that for most people, the word class is a slang word for something positive now. So... Surely that means that, you know, the class war is just a really good war, like the Star Wars series. Banging war, mate. Well meant. <laughs> but we don't really have working class, middle class and upper class anymore, I would say. We we have these new classes, which I call Jeremy Kyle guests. You then have watchers of Jeremy Kyle, who look down on Jeremy Kyle guests. You then have the critics of Jeremy Kyle watchers, who look down on Jeremy Kyle watchers. And then uh, you have people who don't even know what Jeremy Carl is. So essentially, our entire class system is being held together by a gambling-addicted hypocrite who looks <laughs> like what would, what would occur if Dame Judy Dench and a squirrel were able to procreate. Obviously, I have no opinion either way, you know, positive or negative towards Mr. Kyle, except for the fact that he's destroying Britain. Seriously, there's no class in this country anymore just because you can say whatever you want, like... From the, um, a observer point of view, if you are actually looking at class in this country, how would you even start to look at people and go, oh, they clearly look working class. He wears a bowler hat. If you see a person in a bowler hat now, you usually think he's a bit of an idiot. I think class has changed. I think the the point is that we do still have a class structure, but it's just changed from the old lower, middle and upper um, I think that a lot of people now who consider themselves middle class would still be, by the old definitions, very much working class. Um, yeah. It's just that we've changed our sort of feeling on what it is to be a, a working class person. And used to be in the in, in in the old days that it would be you worked in a mine or you worked in a factory, you worked in some kind of hard manual labour. The fact of the matter is that doesn't really exist in Britain anymore. So the people who work in you know low end retail and customer services lots of things like that all these new sort of lower skilled jobs that's that's more of what a working class is now would you say we've kind of grown up out of a class system but we no longer look at people in a you are this class you are this class thus i am better than you we have a little we've kind of grown out of the fact that oh my last name's double barreled i'm clearly better than you i can afford a another last name yeah, I think I think we have grown up, but I think um, I think there's still a lot of uh, prejudice in society about sort of a perceived class. Um, I think you only have to learn you only learn that yourself when you go to university or you move somewhere new that 
you know, you don't really, I never really realised my own class until I met some certain people uh, at like universities and college and things like that. It's that, uh, I think classes, it's just different from what it used to be. Yeah. I think we have be... grown up. Sorry, Ben. Sorry, I think I was just saying, I think we definitely have grown up in terms of society. Yeah, I'd also say we are, you know, a capitalist and therefore quite materialistic society. But there aren't so many objects these days which sort of sort between working class and middle class and so on. Like before, if you had a TV, you were middle class, but everyone has like electronic gadgets these days. Mm. It's only really, you know, the super rich with their yachts and so on, which can really distinguish themselves from everyone else. My thing is interesting that Ben said when he went to uni, he figured out what class he was in because... Even going to uni, I would still say I am not in a class. I would not actually say I am working class, I am middle class. I think it's just immature. Like it's, a, it, it's an immature and like fearful way to look at society that you're looking for a group of people who you don't actually know, who you think are exactly the same as you because you think they have like the same spending power or own the same things as you, but you think that your life and their life are the same when really you could have a lot of working-class people in old Britain who were very happy, and a lot of upper-class people who were tragically depressed, and they would not be the same as any other people in that class bracket, as you could say. It's just a merely... It's a strange way of trying to connect with other people you perceive to be the same as you. I think a lot of the class divide also comes with the north-south divide as well. Um, I think you'll find a lot more... A lot a higher percentage of what pe- old what people would call working class in the north, which is fair enough, and I think that's broke down uh, more than ever by the fact that a lot of well the whole country's developed more as a technological force now rather than just the south. So mm. I think that's changing it as well. The fact that the demographics of the cities and the very fact that people are moving around and you know the world's a much smaller place now from when we decided what working class originally was yeah i agree with you there i think like there's been a lot more money pumped in up north especially if you see like with middlesbrough with the nissan plant and then manchester's quite a yeah. technological yeah. area yeah and liverpool's been redeveloped quite a lot yeah. and you know all these you know notorious sort of attractions of detractors basically just said oh well they're all just poor in these certain northern cities they've all improved out of well not say improved but redeveloped out of all recognition well the news didn't report this week uh with the vacant dictator role in libya her majesty the queen's been seen to be eyeing that up that's in the independent this week uh, Republicans have watched Monty Python's and now for something completely different and uh, have decided to stop acting so silly. That's from The Guardian. Telegraph uh, goes with the story that England topped the world test rankings in cricket. Nothing else matters. Uh, the Daily Mail reports that new anti-prejudice laws brought in by gypsy-loving ethnic minority fearing homosexuality-favouring <laughs> liberals have been brought in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Daily Star just simply has Big Brother is back. Yay. <laughs> a certainly intelligent headline by the Daily Star. <laughs> Even more intelligent one from the Financial Times. Uh, perfect time to buy shares in Woolworths claims out-of-date stockbroker. That'd be a terrific buy, I would say. Rock bottom prices. <laughs> they only go up. <laughs> <laughs> the Interpol Express has asked, where's Wally? Or his alias, 
Waldo. <laughs> uh, La Guisette, the cheese from France, I believe that is. Uh, it says, the French president announces the release of sex tape popular popularity ratings up by 75%. That's an interesting move by Sarkozy to try and get another term. Yes. Daily Express went with the exclusive story that Diana loved long walks in the park. No. They're like a teenage boy who finally fell in love with a girl and then just can't let her go. She's gone. <laughs> just remember her for the good times. But, um... This is from the Leeds Chronicle, and this is a, quite a big story from the Leeds Chronicle, actually. But a Yorkshire man has bought a passport, but he uh, only crossed the River Humber before returning home with homesickness. He is practically well-travelled. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the last one from the Libyan news agency, Gaddafi to start in Libyan remake of This Is Your Life, before presumably being executed on the spot. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh, well, that's an interesting move for Gaddafi if he does take up that role. But I did, I did kind of see him more of the, you know, dancing with the stars or dancing on ice star, to be honest. But that was the news that wasn't reported this week because it was either false, inaccurate, or we made it up ten minutes ago. Probably all three. <laughs> no, I made it up three hours ago, actually. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's the end of the show now, and we're going to end as usual with our predictions. Uh, Adam, do you want to go first? I'm going to predict that this week Theresa May is going to quit her job in frontline politics and have a sex change, change her name to Terry, and take up professional snooker. <laughs> David? Um, I think England will somehow contrive to lose against Wales in, at Wembley this week, and uh, Daily Mail readers will go around setting fires to uh, fields of daffodils. And... Uh, my prediction is that when Louise Mensch finally founds the, twi- the tweet that I sent her, that uh, I'll go to jail. <laughs> yeah, you're going away for a long time. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's the end. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you later. Goodbye. Shivers later. Shivers <laughs> later.